Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 329 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is the CEO and co-founder of Anvil, a platform for building full-stack web apps entirely in Python. He has a PhD in building usable programming systems from Cambridge University, and he wants to make programming more accessible for everyone. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Meredith Luff. Hello. Great to be here, Phil. Um, obviously, that was a very brief introduction. So perhaps, Meredith, you could give us um, a bit of an insight into your role and what you do with Anvil. So, yes, uh, I run a startup called Anvil. Uh, we make a platform that tries to democratize web development. So if you have attempted uh, to scale the mountain of web development, you will know that Typically, to produce a traditional web application, you need to know HTML and CSS and JavaScript and maybe Python from the back end, SQL for the database, and then React and Redux and Bootstrap and uh, Flask and SQL Alchemy and Webpack and AWS and Git. And I'm running out of fingers. I will go, <laughs> go on all evening if you let me. Just listing the things. There's a flowchart you can find out some, find somewhere on GitHub of all the things you would need to know to be you know, a full-stack developer, and it, it yep. melts your brain. And this is obviously extremely excluding to people, exclusive of people who are not spending their entire career capital on being professional web developers. And that excludes a lot of people, both beginners who are getting their start in an IT career, and also people who have, who are specialists in some other field. So you know, if you're a data scientist, if you're a system administrator, uh, if your main career is somewhere else, but you would still like to be able to produce you know, an interactive application people you can use through the web, which is you know what everybody uses, uh, so we built a platform where if you can use a little bit of Python, then that's all you need to know to build and deploy a full-stack web application. So you've got an uh, online editor. You can go to anvil.works and try it yourself, uh, where you can drag and drop to build your user interface. And then you know behind, when a button gets clicked, well, you write the actual Python code that runs when that button gets clicked. So you're writing real code this is not one of these no code systems that you know hides everything behind a sort of three foot layer of foam you are writing real programs with a real production quality language with a really deep and rich ecosystem you know for example if you're a data scientist you're going to be wanting to bring some very sharp professional tools to bear but you just don't have to deal with the honestly the sort of scut work involved in taking uh my code into my working web application somebody else can interact with. So that that's what right. Apple is about and that is what I do. Okay. And in terms of the sort of the level of knowledge you need with, for example, Python mm-hmm. to for it to be effective, you know, how much is it so, that you need to have? 
So the wonderful thing about Python is that there is no single answer to that question because the answer spans a range. Python, the language, I mean, it's really, it's, it's a great example of this because Python is the language that you will show to a kid who's just interested in starting out programming, maybe with something like a Raspberry Pi. Yep. And Python is the language that powers Instagram. And like, that's a pretty huge range. And the goal of Anvil is that if you are, if your Python skills are anywhere in that range, you will be able to do something useful. So okay. we have some rank beginners who will uh, start out and, you know, being able to produce an if statement that uh, that does something different depending on what you've entered into a text box. Like, that is a big deal. And, you know, that's the point where you separate computer as something I use from computer as something I control. And, you know, from there, the, the slope is uh, downhill and fast towards <laughs> creating useful, uh, useful applications yes. with useful logic, all the way up to if you are a senior career developer and you want to be able to throw together something quickly, you will discover that all the power tools you are used to are there. You know, is there a version control system? Of course there is. Of course it's Git. You know, can I use CICD with this? Of course you can. Is it open yep. source? Of course it is. And so the goal really is to be usable by somebody who is just starting out, who's learning just a little bit of Python. You know, maybe you've been working through Code Academy or something like that through to uh, if you are a serious expert, you will find that the tool has grown with you. Right. Okay. And, and of, yeah, from what you're saying, then the more you know, the more you can do, presumably. Which, yes. Which is exactly what programming is like from top to bottom. And I mean, really, Indeed. it's what well, it's what programming should be like. I think the web has sort of distorted this because the the way things are with traditional web development is, is there's not so much a learning curve as a learning cliff. You know, if you know fewer than four or five different programming languages and several frameworks, you can't do anything at all. And like the level of learning required to actually ship something is really quite substantial. And uh, after that, then yes, it becomes a, the more you know, you more the more you can do. But what uh, what Anvil does is actually, I, I talked earlier about a beginner with the hypothetical beginner who's just sort of starting out with if statements. If you're just starting out with that, you can't use that to produce a usable web application using traditional tools because you need to know so much just to get it off the ground. And the goal with Anvil is that uh, you can know a very little and get quite a bit done. And then, yeah. and then it will scale with you smoothly as you learn more. Good. Okay. Right. We'll come back to that, I'm sure, later on. Oh, um, yes. I bet career stages are a frequent <laughs> topic of conversation for you. Indeed. So, uh, Meredith, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? So, if you ask for someone's best, it'll be something they think should be a hoary classic. My biggest is look for your, for what your and is. That if you are just a developer that's actually okay you can get a good career doing that but if you can do that and you can do something else or you have a particular specialism that makes life much more interesting for you and it makes you much more valuable as an employee whether you are so you know 
a data scientist uh, who can program. You know, they're a programmer and they're a statistician. Uh, if your background is in science, that you're you're a programmer and you have you know an understanding of say physics that most people won't do, and there are careers where that becomes your absolute selling point. Being at the intersection of someone who can, someone who can do two different things is really valuable. Yeah, in in terms of that and as well, presumably that there has to be a relationship between those two things. I honestly think that people overrate that, actually. Uh, I think that uh, the relationship will often emerge for two reasons. One is the the, the commonly commonly repeated phrase that software is eating the world, which is that basically anything else out there in the world that you know about, it's going to come into contact with software. And so, you know, the the intersection will form itself. Uh, But also... Even if what you know isn't isn't a thing you can think of as directly overlapping with software, having that extra perspective is often going to let you see things that somebody who has, for example, devoted their entire career to inhaling the you know React stack isn't. So, for example, uh, one of the first people uh, we ever hired at Anvil uh, had a degree in social sciences. Uh, and she didn't use it really use that degree or the things she'd learned there directly once while working for us, but she was consistently somebody with an interesting perspective on how a tool like Anvil was going to be used. Not necessarily because of specific expertise she had, but because of the way that taught her to think. Yeah. Yes. I think that, I think there's a great value in in. In a lot of degrees, I think, as well as mm. obviously up to PhD, in 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 the way that you actually learn and how you then take yeah. that and apply that yeah. into whatever you do subsequently. So, I, I'm yeah wholeheartedly agree with that as a view. Yeah, and of course, none none of this is is exclusive to academic achievements, right? Somebody who uh, has worked on a building site is going to have a very different perspective on building something that is going to be being used by people more like their co-workers from that building site than somebody who went straight up the middle of a formal education uh, system and ended up with a PhD. Um, I'm, again, like one of the other people we hire, we, we, we like hiring interesting people. Uh, <laughs> uh, Never got a degree at university. Uh, Travelled around the world. Uh, you know, bartended his way across Australia. Uh, did uh, several other uh, I- exciting things, some of which I possibly shouldn't detail. Uh, and then <laughs> right. did an open university degree in computing, but actually was worked his way into uh, consulting and then software development. And yeah. you'd better believe he has a great perspective on. Uh, how to build a tool that's supposed to be expanding accessibility to everybody in the world yes yeah i I can well i I suppose it's difficult obviously everybody has their own perspective don't they on on these things so Mm -hmm. but yeah there there is value from everybody's experiences isn't there and bringing those in yes but but maybe that is my tip then my one tip is is think about what your perspective gives you special insight into, whether that perspective is a particular piece of technical expertise uh, or 
life path or anything else and find the place where that gets to make a difference because that's where you're going to add the most value. Yes, indeed. Excellently put. Okay. Can you share with us your worst career moment and what you learned from that experience? Oh, no. Yes, you're going to make me do this, aren't you? I am. <laughs> so the, the Nadir probably came uh, the first real production service I ever had eyes on. So uh, I did, as you have previously hinted, uh, uh, sorry, I did, as you previously mentioned, uh, do a PhD, uh, but... Uh, while I was actually at university doing that PhD, uh, I had a sort of side gig. I was working with a startup, the first startup I was ever involved in, uh, and that was actually it was a mobile messaging service in the Philippines. That was great fun. I learned so much, uh, but that was the first time I'd been the primary person responsible for maintaining a service that other people depended on, and this was. It wasn't quite pre pre AWS. I think we started before AWS was really a mainstream option, but AWS yeah. was just coming into its own, and we were using standard uh, co-location stuff. And again, I I, I had no battle hardened experience driving production services. I had no idea what was coming when one day something just started going wrong. Things were mysteriously slow, uh, and then things stopped altogether. And our database wouldn't come up. And long story short, we discovered that uh, in our co-location facility, the physical machines we were running on had degraded hard disks. And the, the one that had failed first was the one on the heaviest load, which was the central database that had everything. Ooh, okay. And we then had to, we had to get remote hands to in the data center to get another disk into the machine so we could copy over from the dying disk and then repair the missing sectors as best we could and then get uh, the Postgres database to um, uh, to repair its uh, yes, to repair things that that, problems that that caused in the database Uh, the backups were of course on another disk that was also failing and not copying off (laughs) and the from the moment this uh uh, this outage began to the point where it finished with the entire service having been reconstituted on aws me having learned how to use aws in that time was about 72 hours mostly spent at the kitchen table in a shared student house uh, sort of drinking endless cups of tea and eating fast food <laughs> while this thing was desperately trying to reconstitute this service that thousands of people were relying on. It was a messaging service. Yep. People were using this to contact their spouses in, and I don't know if you're familiar with the demographics of the Philippines, its main export is people. The users of this service were not, by and large, people who were texting their mates for a giggle. It was people who were working abroad, who were using, it was Yahoo Messenger back in the day, to message people back in the Philippines who then, again, this before widespread uh, mobile internet access, especially in poorer countries, were corresponding via this bridge that we were we were making uh, via text message so they'd get you know so they'd get an im over yahoo it would send them a text message they'd reply by text the message would go back to right. uh, to their spouse working 
uh, as as made in the United States. Yeah, and all these users were unable to use our service, unable to communicate while this rebuild of this thing that had completely, you know, blindsided me on an ordinary Tuesday morning. Uh, that that was that that was pretty bad as moments in a career go. <laughs> yes. So how, how successful was the recovery? The recovery was complete. Um, I learned some information that's been squirreled away in the back pocket and has once or twice come out to save the day uh, about how to nurse an extremely sick Postgres cluster back into health. Yep. Uh, and believe it or not, the business survived. Uh, we Obviously, we took a hit. You know, A bunch of people cancelled their subscriptions. We issued an awful lot of refunds. But people still needed what we were providing and the business survived and indeed continued growing. I'm okay. astonished they forgave us, but I'm very glad they did. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. And in terms of what you took away from that experience, was there anything you sort of, you took forward in terms of a learning? So a few things. Uh, one was I, I was never from that moment, even though it was early days, I was never one of the people who doubted the value of cloud on demand versus hosted service on demand because even if the latencies of the latter to get something set up are just a couple of hours that is a couple of hours that you sometimes really don't have and being able to drive this stuff instantly uh was was very very important uh i learned a bunch of technical information about uh things to always watch out for if you are running on real hardware and things you should have monitoring alerts on <laughs> yes uh, and I think I, yes, I, I, the, the, it was also, as they say, character building. Uh, it, it did sort of prepare me for uh, a world in which, uh, to quote Brian Cantrell, who is an amazing speaker, and you should go find his talks on YouTube, uh, production is war. Things are going to come at you out of the corner of your eye when you are not expecting it, if you are running a production service like that. And... Uh, it, it, it sort of, you know, it, it, it set my bar for how bad things could get and made me a lot more chilled when dealing with production incidents in the future. Yes, good, okay. Um, and maybe something a little bit more positive. Can you tell us about your career highlights so far? So I would have to say that the highlight of my career has been starting and building Anvil. The point where it went from a problem that... Okay, so my PhD is in building usable programming systems. Yeah. I have a friend called Ian. I've known him since we were 18. Uh, his is in human-computer interaction. When those two people get together to uh, you know, put the world to rights, you bet there's going to be a lot of complaining about something like the usability disaster of web development, that it needs so much and it's so complex. And seeing something go from something that we always knew was was bad but had no real answer to, to a possibility for wait. Someone should you know someone should fix this and we kind of have an idea of how it would happen to well it might as well be us to having an actual you know, company and a team working on this and people out there, you know, I pull up a metrics dashboard and see, you know, <laughs> four digits of events per second going through this thing. It, it, it's, it's been incredible. It's just building something speculatively with your own two hands 
and then seeing it out there being really used by real people who are getting real value from it is, I mean, yeah, that's the best feeling ever. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid I'm I'm not going to narrow it down to a period of a few days, but the process of building Anvil has got to be my highlight. Sure, that's quite understandable. Yes. Okay, Um, Meredith, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the industry and in particular careers in IT? So about the future of the industry, I think that the great and most exciting thing about the industry today is that with the proliferation of things like cloud services and things like the endless variety of web frameworks, we've reached the point where anyone can do this now i would complain that it's a little bit like the um uh, like the thing about anyone can become uh, president of the united states well maybe but not everyone can uh, and certainly the bar to doing it is high but there is that sense that wherever you are if you are willing to crawl over this you know landscape of jagged boulders that is the uh, that, that is the, the development tools you're using, there is nothing stopping you anywhere from building something, building something real, putting it out there and having people use it. And nobody cares if you had no capital to do it because you're renting the computers by the minute. Nobody cares that you're 16 years old because if you can do it, you can do it. And if you do it, they can... It, it, and if you do it and it's useful, people can use it and you don't need that there aren't credential checks you don't have to you know go and uh, sign a four-figure contract for, with anybody you can just get up and do it so that's what excites me most that's fair enough yeah absolutely yes okay we're going to go into the reveal round now we're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think you ready for this okay let's do this <laughs> right. so what first attracted you to a career in it uh, long before I realized it was a career, it was just the most fun toy anybody had ever introduced me to. I, I yep. started back, you know, in the MS-DOS days on QBASIC, and it was introduced to me as a toy. I treated it as a toy. And then sometime, sort of probably around early teens, it dawned on me that this could be a thing I could do when I grew up. And from that moment on, it was very obvious what I was going to be doing because it turns out that that's a thing you can do. Okay, then. Well, that's what I am. Exactly, yes. Okay. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? So this may be specific to me, but it's probably the older developer I met at sort of an open source meetup when I was applying to university. Uh, I I, I didn't read computer science at undergrad. Uh, I was a biologist. My degree's in neuroscience. Uh, And I wanted to go do that because... uh, uh, because it was fun, uh, because I already by that point knew that computers would be with me for for all of my life. Uh, but I also really enjoyed learning about these uh, about biology and about how our bodies worked, and realised that uh, this was my chance to actually go deeper into that. Computers would always be with me. This opportunity wouldn't. But I was still kind of nervous about it, and the. The more senior open source developer who I met at a meetup who told, uh, who who sort of validated that choice really and said, yes, you can absolutely do it. And it doesn't stop you from doing a high powered career or uh, even a research PhD in this. Uh, it's okay, you know, to, to do your undergrad in what, in, in what you enjoy. 
and then you can sort the rest out later. Right. And that, by the way, is a massive, massive advantage of what we have. If you are one of these lucky people, and I acknowledge I was very lucky to be in that position, it was a huge privilege, but if you are one of these people who already has the bit between their teeth here, the fact that there are so many routes into this career means that you can afford to follow your heart. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is obviously maybe a little bit more difficult to answer, but what is the worst career advice you've ever received? So this would have to be the person uh, around the end of my PhD when I was looking at what to do next. And I'd sort of stumbled into an interview with a particular company I shan't name, but uh, they were doing they were doing very well. They were uh, they were clearly on their way to IPO. And this person told me, you're a fool to consider doing anything else. Looking at the value of their options, you know, every month you go by before accepting that offer is probably lighting, you know, thousands of pounds on fire. And I ignored him. <laughs> and I went for the thing that I thought would be more fun. Right. Yes. Okay. And that would be, that was, you know, I, uh, nothing particularly wrong with that company. They do very well in their niche, but I didn't feel excited, energized, if you will, about going there and the advice to suck it up and do it anyway. It's an opportunity you can't afford to miss was what was advice. I'm very glad I didn't. Yeah. I think that boils down typically to the values that you have. Um, for whatever role you're looking for, I suppose. Um, and it didn't match your values. I think it's it wasn't particularly about that. It wasn't particularly about values. It was about the it was about my motivation for doing this, about what I would enjoy. It was really most of all, of all about valuing myself okay. and my own experience. Again, we have the luxury to do things that we think will be enjoying and satisfying and fulfilling, and. We shouldn't feel, you know, because we are in such a financially well-performing industry, we can afford to choose those pieces of our own well-being over what looks like an exciting ephemeral financial opportunity. And that's what we did. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? Oh, uh, given the way that I began it, uh, it, 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 which is to say as a toy... Uh, that version of me in 2021 is probably being given a Raspberry Pi and plugging it into the family TV and discovering that he can play with things that way uh, is probably doing the same sort of going out probably onto the internet today and finding tutorials and examples and learning from there and digging into the places where it's okay to play open source software is big on this uh i i I think it would be broadly similar to be honest i think that if you are the tinkering type then tinkering your way into this career is as valid a choice as ever yes that's true yeah and what career objectives are you currently focusing on well (laughs) i'm running a startup you know what startups are about Uh, we are making (laughs) anvil better we are uh, literally doing tests where we sit down somebody who knows a bit of Python or a lot of Python, but has never seen this before, has never done any web programming before, and 
uh, crudely setting a stopwatch for the time between there and the point where their face inevitably lights up as they realize that you know they can do this now. Uh, they have the power to put a web application on the internet. Of course, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that. We are making notes about the things that they stumble into, the things they have trouble with, the inevitable frustrations anyone has encountering a new programming environment. And the objective is to just sand down that path remove the splinters, remove the things that they can fall over uh, to make starting to go from I can program a little bit or even I can program a lot to I can build a web application entirely in Python as smooth as humanly possible. And that is my sort of (laughs) personal career and uh, little contribution to the state of humanity objective. Right. Okay. I'm tempted to ask you a question that you probably can't even answer. But, it. Um, it, it's more about so this objective of obviously making the best product that you can. Yes. Do you have a view of, of a point where you're going to reach the point where, you, where there's little value in trying to improve it, if you see what I mean? Are you, how close are you to the point where you say it's as good as we want it to be? I think that that is a question that occurs at different times for different products because uh, there are things that are essentially finished and they do everything that you want them to do already and further fiddling with them mostly irritates the existing users because they move all the you know, move all the ways to do to get their job done around so they have to learn how to use it all over again i think programming tools are different here in that there is so much complexity there is uh, there are there are always new things to make easier uh, that are too hard in the world I I don't see I don't see a bottom in how deep we can dig to make the experience of web programming easier. Fine, yeah, okay, that 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 makes sense, definitely. And what is the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? For me, it's probably uh, the natural luck of being an extrovert. Talking to people is important. Uh, yep. caring about people. Uh, I, I don't know whether to attribute that one to genes, upbringing, my parents, luck, uh, or, or whatever, but actually looking at the people who are using it and going, so what's going on inside your head is by far the most useful non-technical skill I have. And by the way, that's, right. that's okay. very much not, not uh, confined to uh, people who are using the things you build uh, in your career, you will spend most of your time interacting in some sense with the people around you on your team, uh, your peers, your bosses, your subordinates, and having a curiosity and interest in what is going on inside their heads and what they want uh, gets you an awful long way. Uh, <laughs> the phrase we sometimes use is brute force and empathy. Fundamentally, you can. There's a lot you can not <laughs> yes. know about management, and we started, you know, startup from scratch. Boy, did we not know a lot about management! But you can get an awful long way by from with well-intentioned empathy. Yeah, that's true. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I mean, other than running a startup. Well, about to say, I, I was <laughs> about to say, if running a startup. Uh, 
and simultaneously uh, breaking new technical ground in an area that you personally deeply care about isn't energizing, then then maybe this isn't the career for you because I love it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, that's fair enough. And, and what do you do in your spare time, assuming you have some, away from technology? Oh, we really make a point of having some and we make a point of leading by example that everybody else in the company has some as well because you're yep. no good to anybody burnt out and uh, as you may have noticed the theme from this, we are, you know, uh, you have one life and you are here to enjoy yourself. And working hard does not mean flogging yourself to death. Um, so yes, absolutely. Uh, time, uh, time away from technology is a thing that exists. Uh, I fly airplanes. So I, I learned to fly. That, that was what I spent the, uh, the, the proceeds of the... Uh, Start Filipino startup. I did. I worked on during my PhD on. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, which is enormous fun. It that was uh, that was something I've wanted to do since I was very 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 small. And it turns out that uh, little boy Meredith had exactly the right ideas. Well done him. Uh, it, it really is enormously fun. Uh, the other thing I do is I dance. So um, uh, I. I did ballroom and Latin at university. Uh, I, I used to compete with a uh, formation Latin team. Uh, now it's much more social, but obviously that's uh, yep. that, that's not really um, a particularly popular pastime during a pandemic for some reason. So, so that one's kind <laughs> no. of on hold. Yes, understandable. Yes, I think you've got to be a particular type of person. I think to want to be a to, to learn to fly or be a pilot. Definitely. Uh, I mean, yes, but I do think the sort of person is the sort of person who wants to. Uh, Yes. This is something that, you know, people who don't work in IT will often think about our careers. It's like, that sounds deathly dull. Congratulations, you you sound like somebody who who wouldn't enjoy doing what I do. Don't. Uh, But, you know, for the people who enjoy it, it is obviously fun. I do think it teaches you a lot about your... um, your own cognitive processes, though, and your human fallibility, because so much of it is about how you make decisions under pressure or under stress, or while there's mm. lots of uh, input to accumulate. And obviously, that doesn't happen most of the time, but you know, you want to hone those skills so that you can when it does. And I think that that kind of sort of deep contemplation of my own fallibility and not just contemplation, but like an example of a systematic system of putting roadblocks in the way of my own mistakes that is, you know, a large part of the discipline of flying has been sort of philosophically uh, illuminating to the rest of my life as well. It's not just (laughs) contemplating your own fallibility. It is contemplating your own fallibility as a problem that can be systematically mitigated. Okay, by your actions. Yes, by your, by your actions, like by things like checklists. Yeah. Okay, yeah. By things like ways you can construct your life, your work, to avoid making bad mistakes. Yes. Yeah, understood. Okay. Um, Meredith, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? I don't think I have anything better than what I opened with. Find the thing that is interesting to you, that you know about, that you have a unique perspective on, and bring that to an IT career. Yeah, that's well said. And how can we find out more about you and connect with you? 
So, uh, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-Y-D-D. I'm sorry, it's Welsh. Uh, you're going to, <laughs> just going to have to live with it. Yeah. Uh, more interestingly, you can find Anvil at anvil.works. Uh, it is, of course, free to use. Uh, you can uh, just sign up and start building something. There are a bunch of tutorials on, you know, do you want to build a dashboard? Would you like to build uh, something more interesting? Would you like to build a to-do list application? Would you like to build something specific to your industry? Uh, so go check those out. Uh, we can also find us on Twitter at Anvil underscore works. Uh, and if you want to tweet something at me that you've built, uh, do so. I am likely to respond positively. Great. Meredith, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, Phil here again. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with today's guest. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e and the number of the episode you've been listening to. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do so that you get episodes automatically downloaded to your device every Monday. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.